0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll talk about a new project being launched by Manitoba Pork to deal with wild pigs. Also, Lee Allen-Bosser will chat with the chair of the Canadian Honey Council. And up first in today's country comment, I'll chat with Rosenort area egg farmer Kurt Siemens about the flooding. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon, you're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Earlier this morning, I caught up with Manitoba egg farmer Kurt Siemens to talk about the flooding.
1: Our operation, is a layer and pullet operation, and we are uh, in between the Morris and Rosenord area. And we farm about uh, 40,000 chickens here, so we have about uh, 35,000 layers, or 30,000 layers, and about 15,000 pullets right
0: now. Wanted to talk a little bit about the flooding in that, uh, in that area. I guess just tell us what uh, things are like.
1: Uh, you know, every, everything south of me right now is, is underwater, so there's very limited road access. Some, I see a couple of tractors driving through the water, but uh, for our farm, we only have to drive through. Well, we brought the egg truck in this morning, and he was driving through about 10 inches of water you just have to make sure the roads are staked properly so you can see where the ditches are because you're driving through the middle of a lake so you uh if you know where that is then uh, and you get the debris off the road then then we're pretty good
0: is the water still going up there
1: it's so hard to tell because of the wind uh wind changes the height of the water by quite a bit it can change by anywhere from two inches to six inches so uh it feels a little bit higher today. Yesterday was okay, but uh today because the wind picked up from the east, now the, the level's coming up a couple of inches. But uh it it's so hard when the wind is changing the, the levels here.
0: So your operation itself, is there any risk of, of water I guess coming into your operation or
1: No, we've we're all uh, we've been totally prepared here. we we're uh actually we just built a new complex here for During 2018 and 2019, and everything here is built up on a pad that is three and a half feet higher than 97 flood level. So our barns are all okay. Uh, My son's house and and shop, he's inside a dike, and the dike is uh, two and a half feet higher than uh, 97 level. So we're good.
0: With the, uh, I guess, with the highway closures, does that impact um, you know where where your eggs are going or?
1: No, no, our eggs will still all go, uh, he actually picked up this morning, as I said, and they will go to Steinbach right away, and they'll get graded and cleaned up and into the stores probably tomorrow or the day after, so that part we're still keeping fairly consistent, just a little bit of extra work, he has to drive around a few extra miles just because of road access, but uh, no, we're going to make sure we keep that consumer t- the good Manitoba eggs, so we're good.
0: And, you know, as an egg farmer, how do, you, how do you go about preparing for something like a flood, you know, just to, just to make, thir- uh, make sure things keep running and, you know, animal safety and all that? Um,
1: well, animal safety and animal welfare is always a top priority for us, as well as uh, and then food safety would be the second level, and human safety rates right in there with that. So what we have of, uh, as I said, we built up our, our barn on a pad, We also have enough storage here, feed storage here for a minimum three weeks, so we did that on Thursday. We got uh, all our tanks filled up, so we're good for three weeks, so we don't have to bring any feed in. Uh, Eggs, we have storage for, uh, in our cooler itself, we probably have two weeks of storage, plus we have a dry van with a dolly that uh, we can also fill as a backup, so we're... About as prepared as we can be you uh, it's a lot of extra cost that you gotta just put up ahead of time but then when the flood comes and mostly you're prepared we make sure we have a couple pumps we have a boat with a motor we have everything sitting and ready just in case something happens so i think we're pretty good
0: previous flood years have you had issues in that area or
1: yeah 97 we uh we actually had to take out our birds uh well, when we started taking them out of the barn, and we were driving through six inches of water, by the time we finished, it was three feet of water, and it all happened in one afternoon kind of thing. So, and that's the same year that our house got flooded, shop got flooded, uh, barn was sitting empty for quite a while. So, yeah, that was the worst year. Since then, we've been able to battle most of the floods since '97. So. A lot of prep after 97 to, to be prepared for those uh, these following years.
0: I wanted to ask you, Manitoba Egg Farmer celebrated uh, 50 a 50-year anniversary. Were you involved in that at all? Or? Yes, yeah. I
1: was. We were in downtown Winnipeg, and we were handing out breakfast sandwiches. It was a beautiful sunny morning, so perfect way for a lot of people to come by and get a breakfast sandwich and start their uh, start their day off with sunshine and, and an egg sandwich.
0: Yeah, I guess just talk about the, that milestone and you know what that means for your industry.
1: The 50 years is, is a long time for, for us in our industry. I mean, it's uh, a lot of milestones along the way as well as, as far as uh, achievements and everything else. And and the end product is we still get to uh, supply all our consumers here in Manitoba with Manitoba eggs. So it uh, couldn't be more perfect than that, I would say.
0: That was Manitoba egg farmer Kurt Siemens talking about the flooding in southern Manitoba. His operation is located between Rosenort and Morris. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon, I'm Corey Canute. Pastures in many areas are starting to green up. Tame pastures are generally grazed first about two to three weeks earlier than native pastures. Range management extension specialist Kelly Cochran in Saskatchewan says before turning animals out, the grass should be at that three to four leaf stage or when the plants are about six to eight inches tall.
2: Having these leaves, you know, will allow for sufficient photosynthesis to occur that will allow for energy to be stored into the plant reserves, which is important later on for regrowth and uh, allows the plant to withstand uh, stresses. If a plant does not have enough energy reserves, uh, you know, it takes longer for the plant to regrow. This can be detrimental to the health of a pasture under, you know, under dry
0: conditions. He notes there's a rule of thumb that says grazing one week too early in the spring can sacrifice three weeks of fall grazing in a rotational system. And the Canadian Food Grants Bank has released its five-year strategic plan. Musu Taylor-Lewis is Director of Resources and Public Engagement. Coming years, we will be
3: building on almost 40 years now of Christian service, working towards a world without hunger. Strategic plans, by their very nature, focus on the things that need to change, but we do want to emphasize that there's a lot that will not change. Our mission, our vision, will remain the same. Our areas of program, focused on food security and providing emergency food assistance in times of crisis, will continue.
0: The five-year strategic plan can be viewed on the Canadian Food Grains Bank website. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Monday, May 9th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, Glendalee allen Wasser chats with the chair of the Canadian Honey Council. It was a tough winter for beekeepers. To find out more on that, Glendalee allen Wasser talked with Jake Berg, the chair of the Canadian Honey Council.
4: Jake, set the stage for us. Talk to us a little bit about how we saw the the bee colonies survive the winter. What kind of a winter was it for producers?
3: Um, So the winter of 2021, 2022 was a fairly hard winter for bees. Um, I guess it really stems back to the summer of 2021 um, where it was a really good summer for growing bees, and then it so it also became a really good summer for growing real grow mites. And the uh, mite population uh, kind of exploded or got away on on a, a lot of beekeepers across across Canada. Um, and that's really what set the stage for the for the overwintering um, problems we've had uh, over this past winter.
4: So when we're talking about it being such a hard winter on the bees, What kind of losses are we actually talking about then?
3: Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario um, are all talking about kind of 45% losses as an average. Um, Quebec is probably the hardest hit with uh, about 60% losses on average. And Saskatchewan is sitting at about 30%, 30%, I believe, at the moment. Um, So that's, you know, typically we would expect, you know, 20 to 25 percent as a high number for losses. So that's quite elevated in the in the sense of of overwintering losses.
4: We got hit with some pretty big spring snowstorms. Does that have any impact as well? Or
3: yeah, a a colder wet spring uh, definitely, or just a colder spring in general, um, definitely has a has a great impact a big impact on bees. so colonies haven't haven't had a chance yet to really start growing um, through the month of April. Um, so most most bees that are wintered outside um, are coming along, uh, although they're not coming along nearly as as quick as most would like. Um, natural pollen really hasn't started in most areas until the last few days. Um, of course, it depends on where in Western Canada you're at, but um, and then in some other areas where they've had uh, snow in last, you know, in the last couple weeks of April, well, that's uh, definitely a setback for the bees as well. Um, and then coupled with, with poor bee health, with the, uh, the overwintering problems we've had, definitely haven't uh, been uh, good for bees, that's for sure.
4: Because we've seen that that cool, wet spring, of course, seeding is delayed, which also impacts the bees, Right.
3: Well, yes, but uh, actually, a delayed seeding in a in a year where bees aren't as as uh, good as they could be, um, yet to be seen. But can can sometimes be actually a benefit. Um, it, it'll delay the uh, the flowering season as well, so that will give the bees a little more time to catch up. It, it's you know it's good and bad in, in both in both ways
4: generally when do producers start you know evaluating their hives after the winter
3: um it really depends on if they're wintered indoors or outdoors um typically outdoor wintered hives uh beekeepers would start getting their first look kind of depending on the weather and and where again on on location um but usually late March to the you know first week of April, uh, most beekeepers will get their first first kind of look at their hives and see see how they've done over the winter. Um, indoor wintering, depending again where in, in Western Canada you are, um, typically that kind of second week in April.
4: And do we see a lot of hives overwintered outside?
3: um across western canada i would think at least 80 percent are wintered outdoors and maybe 20 percent in indoors these are are a lot uh hardier than than we really give them credit for um but to winter to winter colony outdoors it, it still requires that they're they're wrapped in a winter winter
4: as you said we've seen this loss in production are producers able to to purchase more? Like, what is that scenario like?
3: The way out of this or the way back to normal is, is going to be, it's, gonna, it's going to take at least one or you know possibly multiple rebuilding years for most producers. Um, right now, um, we typically bring in about 40,000 uh, packages of bees into Canada every year. On average for the last few years um, and that usually you know, on, a, on a normal loss year is typically enough to kind of help everyone out that that's needing some more bees um, although the, the better alternative um, is to uh, make make your own replacement stock uh, which is uh, becoming slowly becoming more of a uh, avenue most or a lot of beekeepers are, are pursuing um, but it does take more more time and more labor as well.
4: So, so when we are talking about the loss numbers that we saw over the winter this year, how does that impact production? And, and talk a little bit about where we see the honey moving.
3: With the amount of loss that's happened this year, the Canadian honey crop will definitely be uh, impacted by that loss. Um, I mean, it's yet to be seen at what level it will be impacted but i would think that the uh the average the canadian honey crop will be below average uh poundage wise by i would guess somewhere in the neighborhood of you know 30 to 40 percent
4: and do we see most of it utilized domestically
3: uh no uh canada, canada is definitely a, a net deck exporting country typically western canadian honey goes can go most places in the world um of the stuff that's exported a lot of it goes to the us or um, japan is probably two of the biggest markets although it, it does go to multiple different countries around the world
4: jake berg is chair of the canadian honey council for Golden West, I'm Glendalee allen Bossler.
0: That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glendalee Allen-Vosler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Ag will return tomorrow on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada has established an e-commerce resource hub where Canadian agri-food companies can access resources to take advantage of global opportunities to sell products online. The sessions conclude June 6th. Each week covers a different topic. You can register on the Manitoba Agriculture website. The 2022 Spring Farmers Market Coordinator Gathering is planned for May 13th in Winnipeg. The gathering will include workshops, lunch, solution mill, as well as time to connect with fellow coordinators. Get all the details with Direct Farm Manitoba. And Manitoba Forage and Grassland Association is putting on a Fence and Water Solutions Workshop June 1st. The cost is $30, and you can register on the MFGA website. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Monday afternoon. Manitoba Pork, in partnership with the Government of Canada and the Province of Manitoba, and in collaboration with Manitoba's agricultural sector, is launching the Squeal on Pigs campaign, to help control the invasive wild pig population. Dr. Wayne Lees is project coordinator with the Manitoba Invasive Swine Eradication Project.
2: Squeal on Pigs is a public awareness campaign to raise people's attention toward the role of invasive swine in the province. Uh, These invasive swine have been dubbed uh, wild pigs, uh, wild boar, Eurasian boar, or any of the hybrids uh the 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 mixture of of those and uh it's a problem that's been going on for a number of years now but the alarm bells are really starting to ring not just here in manitoba but across the prairies uh, and especially in areas where these pigs are breeding and uh starting to do a lot of damage to the environment
0: yeah and you know from what i've heard um People, it's hard to spot these pigs, but they are out there.
2: They are. Uh, There are signs that you can see. Um, Part of the environmental damage that they do uh, is in pastures or perhaps root crops like potatoes or something like that. You can see what looks like uh, a rototiller has been through an area, and these pigs will, will root up pastures, they'll root up crops. Um, looking for grubs, worms, or even uh, uh, products like potatoes or other root crops. And uh, they do a lot of damage um, in terms of changing the ecology as well. So because they eat anything, they'll eat eggs of ground-nesting birds or lizards or anything basically uh, that they come across.
0: And uh, just talk a little bit about the uh, the concern with uh, disease and how these pigs you know could could uh, spread disease.
2: Right. so there are dozens of different diseases that these pigs can carry, and one of the biggest concerns really is the role that they could play if we were ever to uh, get a foreign animal disease such as African swine fever. Um, because these pigs are susceptible to that, they could easily spread that from one one place to another. So we're very concerned about the role that, um, these, these pigs would play in any disease outbreak.
0: Now with this, uh, squeal on pigs campaign, um, you know, if people, people do find or do see wild pigs, would you recommend them calling or, 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 um, you know, going online to report them rather than dealing with the issue themselves or?
2: Well, um, hunting has been, um, allowed in certain areas, but the issue with hunting is that it tends to disperse the pigs, and it's not been shown to be effective in other jurisdictions, uh, especially southern U.S. They've allowed hunting for a long time, and actually the problem is increasing, not decreasing. Uh, so uh, by reporting pigs, either through the one eight three three spot toll-free number, or uh, through the website, squealonpigsmb.org, uh, we'll get a much better idea of where these pigs are and uh, a sense of how many there are so that we can do some control measures down the road.
0: Dr. Lees, anything else to, to add here on that?
2: One of the things I would like to uh, emphasize is that these pigs are not pets. They're, they can be uh, quite aggressive if they're cornered. Uh, they can be... Uh, a threat to people. So it's it's one of the uh, other issues that I think people need to be aware of.
0: That was Dr. Wayne Lee's project coordinator of the Manitoba Invasive Swine Eradication Project talking to us here today about Manitoba Pork's Squeal on Pigs campaign, which will help control the invasive wild pig population. Again, if you spot wild pigs, you can go to squealonpigsmb.org to report or call toll-free at one Seven seven six eighty seven forty four. 8744. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Until all are fed is the mission statement behind the Canadian Food Grants Bank recently released five year strategic plan. Musu Taylor Lewis is Director of Resources and Public Engagement.
3: But what we have is a strategic plan. It's built with ethical and theological seriousness. It deals with the key issues of our time. Nexus programming that bridges our humanitarian and development work, that addresses climate adaptation programming and addresses the growing impacts of the climate change on those that we serve. And it also advocates for localization and equitable practice in the way in which we deliver those
0: programs. The five-year strategic plan can be viewed on the Canadian Food Grants Bank website. And livestock producers are closely monitoring pasture growth as they prepare to turn animals out. Range Management Extension Specialist Kelly Cochran in Saskatchewan says plants should be about six to eight inches tall before putting animals out to graze.
2: The forages need at least one month of rest for regrowth to properly replenish their nutrient levels after grazing. Um... One must not try not to overgraze, you know, again, try to leave four to six inches of plant residue behind. The more leaf material that is left, the faster um, the regrowth will occur.
0: He says there's a rule of thumb that says grazing one week too early in the spring can sacrifice three weeks of fall grazing in a rotational system. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Laura Schmidt with Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers will join us for another edition of the Bean Reports. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can meet us back here tomorrow, starting at 12 noon.